The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, good morning. It is really good to be with you this morning. Missed you last week. Missed preaching the last few weeks. It is, it is good to, to be back. Glad that you are here. Welcome to those who hopefully are watching online. We had some technical difficulties this morning with the stream, so hopefully those, that's gone out and there are some who are, who are tuning in this morning. Well, what a, a year it has been as we, this morning are gathered together in the, on the last Sunday of, of what is, uh, in many ways, an unprecedented year, um, at least in, in our lifetimes, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there have been things in years that have been more difficult than this, but you'd have to be as old as Terry to remember those. Um, in, in my lifetime, at least, it's, it's, it's been unprecedented as we look back on 2020 with a year marked by racial strife, a year of riots, of political turmoil, of economic turmoil, a year of a pandemic, the kind of year where on Christmas morning your refrigerator goes out. Maybe that's just me. Or your AC goes out, your heat goes out. Just that kind of, of year. I think if this year has shown us one thing at the very least, it is that the words of, of Jesus are true. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Because in the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, Jesus says. We, church, we are not promised a comfortable and smooth life. We are promised trouble. You understand, that's Jesus' words. That's what he means when he says, you will have tribulations. You will have trouble. That, that's not a you might have tribulations. That's not a you might have trouble. That's not a you know, one year in, in the year 2020 you will have trouble. That is your life more often than not will be a, a year marked or a life marked by trouble. Certainly there are good times. But what we can expect in this life is trouble, is, is tribulation. Now, that is not very good news, is it? Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. You're going to have a hard life. That's not very good news, but... God in his grace has not just told us that 
has he? Jesus didn't just say, in the world you will have tribulation. He didn't just leave us there, but instead he says, but you take heart. Take heart. And so the question is, how can we, as God's people, how can we take heart in troubled times? When it feels like your world is crumbling around you, when, when what you had as your set of expectations hasn't come true, how can you take heart? That is the question, and God in his grace has given us what I will call this morning a roadmap for troubled times. A roadmap for troubled times and how we as God's people can experience peace in the midst of trouble. This is what I want to look at this morning in four verses from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. A roadmap, if you will for peace in a troubled times. These verses consist of four commands and one result. Four commands and one result that serve for us as a roadmap in troubled times. And I'll just go ahead and let you know what those are. So if you're a note taker, you can jot them down and follow with us as we work through the text together. Four commands and one result. We are to be rejoicing, be reasonable, be reassured, be requesting, and we will be rewarded. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A roadmap for troubled times. The first command is to be rejoicing. Be rejoicing. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice In the Lord always, again, I will say, rejoice. Paul commands believers everywhere to rejoice. Now, it is important to know 
that when Paul gives this command to be rejoicing, these are all imperatives. That's why I phrased them this way. Be rejoicing. They're commands, things we're supposed to do. Paul is including himself in this, saying we are to be rejoicing. And it's important to know he's including himself in While he is writing this, he is not sitting comfortably in some posh Roman home being served. But he is in prison. And yet, regardless of his circumstances, his command to us is to rejoice. And that's precisely the kind of rejoicing Paul calls us to. A rejoicing that isn't dictated by one's circumstances. Karl Barth defines this kind of Christian joy as a defiant nevertheless. A defiant nevertheless. Defiantly in the face of difficult and hard and trying circumstances to say, nevertheless, I will find my joy in the Lord. Nevertheless of my, of my circumstances, I will rejoice. Regardless of our circumstances, we are called to rejoice. This is why Paul adds the word always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I read those verses and I think to myself, how in the world are we supposed to do this? Because life really is full of trials and difficult circumstances and heartache. The results of sin are all around us. Brokenness is all around us and it regularly finds its home at our door. How are we to rejoice our ways? How are we to have a defiant nevertheless? The reality is, is because that our rejoicing isn't found in our life's circumstances, but our rejoicing is found in the life of Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, rejoice where? In the Lord. In the Lord. Christian rejoicing is based on what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. What is it that God has done? Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What has God done for us? He's transferred us out of a dominion of darkness, out of a rule of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us of our sins. And this is cause for rejoicing because of what God has done. We also should rejoice in what God 
is doing and what is God doing? Philippians 4, just a few verses later in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What is God doing? He is supplying us this very moment with every single thing we need in this life. Regardless of our circumstances, God is faithful to supply us with what we need. This is what he is doing. And what will he do? 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, our joy is not based on our circumstances. Our rejoicing should not be based in our circumstances. Instead, they should be rooted and grounded in what God has done, in what God is doing, and in what God will do. Do you know what that's called? That's called the joy of our salvation. This is the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 3. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock. Making my steps secure, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. That's rejoicing. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This is what Paul had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because your rejoicing and your joy is not dictated by your circumstances. It is seated in what Christ has done is doing, and will do. And because of that, we must rejoice. Again, he says rejoice. This is a command, a defiant nevertheless. As the world around us spins out of control. We of all people have a reason to rejoice. As we are surrounded with despair, we of all people should rejoice. It is a command. A command. The world around you can crumble, but Christ in you, the hope of glory never wavers. Be rejoicing. That's the first stop in the road map. In troubled times to be rejoicing. The second is the command to be reasonable. To be reasonable. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness is probably best translated, as some translations do, the ESV doesn't, as a gentle spirit. As a gentle spirit. This is the same word used in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Same word. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but 
bold towards you when I'm away. Same word, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, same word, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Paul's command is to have a gentle spirit. Let your gentle spirit, your reasonableness be known to everyone. Be gentle in spirit in a way that a watching world can see. Here's the way this made sense to me. That inwardly I am rejoicing because of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And outwardly that rejoicing and joy manifests itself in a reasonableness, in a gentle and kind spirit towards everyone. Everyone. This rejoicing leads to a gentle, kind, long-suffering disposition. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know, it it is easy in the polarizing quick Facebook posting world that we live in to not be reasonable, to not be gentle, to not be lowly and humble and patient. But we are called, you are called, you are commanded, church, to be those things, to be reasonable, to be gentle in spirit, to be lowly and kind, to be patient and long-suffering. Why? Why has God called us to live this way? Well, Paul tells us, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean that the Lord is at hand? It means that the Lord is near. That the Lord is near. Now, there's two ways we can think about this truth that the Lord is near. One is that He is near in proximity. He's near in proximity. That is that God is close by, He is close to us. This is Psalm 145 18. The Lord is near to all who call on Him to all who call on him in truth. That God is not some far off cosmic, um, unapproachable, unavailable God. But that he is, in terms of proximity, closer to you than I am. He is close by to those who call on him. He is close to hear, and he is close to come, and he is close to save, and he is close to comfort. God is at hand means that he is nearby to you. But it also means that his return is near, right? That's, that's probably the way most people, when they read those words, the Lord is at hand, they think about it as, as in his return is 
near. His, his second advent is near, right? So we should be a prepared people. That's where Jacob's been teaching us the last few weeks. His return is close. He is close to those who call on him. And his return is close. You see, these two truths, that God is near to those who call on him and that his return is imminent, should be the demanding reason for our reasonableness. Why are we to be reasonable? Why are we as God's people to be gentle in a polarized, antagonistic world? Why are we, of all people, called to be reasonable? So that we could, by God's grace and by any means, win them over. Because if they call, he answers. And the time to call is short. Be reasonable to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to all people. The Lord is at hand. We're commanded first to to be rejoicing. Second, to be reasonable. Thirdly, is the command to be reassured. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Now, remember where Paul is. He is in prison. Of all people, he has every right and reason to be anxious He could be killed at any moment, yet his command, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is to not be anxious about anything, nothing. You know, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan and why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? What a season marked by anxiety, never knowing what may come around the next corner. Yet here we are, as God's people, commanded to stand and be reassured. To be reassured. Reassured about what? Reassured, first, that God is near. And second, that God is listening. That God is near to provide for you everything you need. That God is near to comfort. That God is near to sustain. 
to be reassured that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. To be reassured that all of the world is upheld by his mighty right hand. And to be reassured in a world that seems to be spinning out of control that the one constant God who is the same today and yesterday and forevermore is close enough to hear your prayers. That's the next command, to be requesting. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but instead of being anxious in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The command is to be requesting, to come to the Lord in prayer. Here's the reality, church. Spiritually healthy people respond in troubled times with thankful prayer. Spiritually healthy people respond in troubled times with a thankful prayer. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul uses three synonyms here, three synonymous terms that all point towards the same thing. Prayer, supplication, and requests. Prayer, supplication, and requests. Three terms that fully encapsulate everything that has to do with coming before the Lord in prayer. Come before Him, I believe, these three ways combined to come before Him in full assurance to be reassured that He hears and He is able to answer our prayers. God already knows what we need and he has already promised to give us everything we need. Now, I am a a strong believer in the sovereignty of God and, and you probably are too. And I have struggled from time to time with this understanding that that God already knows what I need. He knows before I ask. He sees me. He knows what I need. And he is all sovereign. And he determines and decrees my steps. And so then, what is the point in praying? I think prayer and coming before him is a thankful declaration of our absolute dependence on God. He already knows what we need. He's already promised to meet those needs. And so when we come before him, as Paul commands us to, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and we let our requests be made known to God, it is a declaration of our absolute dependence on him. 
And when we come before him in prayer, we are acknowledging that. We are not God. And the way we know we're not God is because we are in need. And he's never needed a thing. And you are the all-sovereign God who faithfully supplies our needs. And we are dependent on you. Now, when you are rejoicing, when you are being reasonable, when you are living reassured, and when you are coming before God and requesting prayer, this roadmap leads to a destination where you will be rewarded. Verse 7. And the peace of God. You see that and? And ties this promise that the peace of God will come. That and ties that promise to those commands. You do these commands and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. The reward at the end of the roadmap is peace. But it's not just any peace. It's a A special kind of peace. It's first and foremost a supernatural peace. Right? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It's a supernatural peace. It's a peace of God that does not make sense. A peace of God that cannot be reasoned. A peace of God that is not dictated by circumstances. A peace of God that is sure and that is firm. It's a supernatural peace. The world understands peace as a lack of conflict. And a lack of conflict produces comfort. That's just the logical understanding of what peace is. Right? That that peace happens when everything is working together. Making sense. And you're comfortable. And there's no conflict in you or around you or with you. This is peace. But God's peace is different than that. Because God's peace is supernatural. It surpasses understanding. It makes no sense. That means that even in the midst of conflict. Even in the midst of trouble. Even in the midst of tribulation. God offers peace. It's a supernatural peace. But not only is it a supernatural peace, it's an active peace. It's an active peace. I I think that the world understands peace as a a result of of things. That that peace isn't active, it's, it's reactive. Right? It's based upon 
outside circumstances, but the peace of God is an active peace. The peace of God is doing things in you. And what is it doing? It's guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reward is a peace that comes from God that is supernatural, surpasses all understanding, and is active, guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's this peace of God doing? It's keeping you from falling into despair. It's keeping you from losing hope. It's keeping you from falling away from grace. It's active, it's producing, it's doing things in your life. Paul says it is guarding your hearts and your minds. Guarding is a a military term for soldiers that were on guard duty. And I can't help but think that as Paul wrote that, guarding you, he just glanced up at that guard sitting there watching him. Just as that guard is guarding me, so the peace of God guards you. It watches after you. It protects you. It keeps you. Paul says it will guard your hearts and your minds. This phrase, your hearts and your minds, just points to your whole being. Your whole being. The reward of the peace of God that comes will guard you, your heart, and your mind. Will protect you from despair, from discouragement, from sin. This is the reward. This is the roadmap for troubled times. If we as the people of God in this season need anything. It's, it's the peace of God. It's the peace of God. And how do we get the peace of God? Well, we do some things. We do some things. We, we be rejoicing in the Lord. In what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. We be reasonable. We let our reasonableness show to those around us. We of all people are gentle and lowly and kind. Bearing with one another in love because this is how Christ lived. We be reassured. To not be anxious about anything. Knowing that God is near. We be requesting. We come before him in prayer. With thanksgiving. Letting our requests be known to God. And when those things happen. We can be rewarded. With the peace of God. This is the roadmap for troubled times. And every stop along the way finds its yes, its amen, its point in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord.
Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Every stop along the way has Jesus Christ as the center point. Every stop. And if you don't know him, if you haven't trusted him, then the first stop is to do that. And if you have, then we are called to be rejoicing, to be reasonable, to be reassured, to be requesting, and ultimately to be rewarded. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we as your people, in the midst of much turmoil, in trouble, in the midst of much uncertainty, in chaos, in pain, in hurt, in fear, that we would, as your people, be different. That we would be marked out as a people who are rejoicing Rejoicing in you, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We would be reasonable. That we would be the one bastion in this world where reasonableness can be found. We would be reassured. Not anxious not being tossed to and fro by the world, not being blown about by the winds of this world, but that we would stand firm, reassured on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. That we would be requesting. We'd spend more time coming to you than we do going other places. That we would come before you in thanksgiving, making our requests known to you, declaring to you, our need for you and that you would by your grace reward us with your peace which is supernatural which is active and which is found in Christ Jesus it's in his name we pray amen thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series to find our gathering location and more sermons visit christcentralchurch.net